In the following live session recording, Sheila West, Ministry Multiplier with LifeWay Christian Resources, shares the session entitled, I Don't Want to Wimp Out on God. Many women who are servants of God, loving Him and trying to represent Him to the extent of their human ability, sometimes grow discouraged when the demands of life and ministry seem to make the reality of holiness a lofty spiritual concept, one that doesn't seem consistently attainable. This session is filled with encouraging biblical truths, clarifying and simplifying how to intentionally journey with Jesus. The listener will gain new insights into how this impacts your ministry. Let's join Sheila now. Well, I'm really, really, really glad to be here. And I do have some connections with Georgia because I lived in Atlanta for about three and a half years when I was really little, right down the street from Georgia Tech. Um, we do have a little bit of rivalry going on here since y'all have the University of Georgia and we have University of Florida. So about once a year since my grandson graduated from the University of Florida, we have a, a little rivalry going on there. But I have a lot of roots, a lot of family that lived in Georgia. So when I come back to Georgia and Alabama, I kind of feel like I'm coming back home. And it's, it's so good to be here. There's not a lot to say about me, except I had three children. Two of them grew up, but my husband never will. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he, um, he keeps me young or makes me old. I'm never sure which one it is, but we've had a lot of years together. I have seven, one, two children. I don't want to forget them. Of course, they tell the grandchildren all the time, these are not the same parents that raised us. Do you know what I mean here? Is it kind of that way at your house too? And I have seven awesome grandchildren. And I'm their Mimi. I like being a Mimi. And I'm just so thankful for them. Um, they're spreading out on me, though. They're in Seattle and Pittsburgh, and they're moving around and leaving me. One just went to the University of Michigan to get her master's degree in, uh, as a nursing practitioner and um, midwife because she wants to go into missions. So it's, a, it's an exciting time. Now, how many of you are grandmothers? Uh-oh. Don't you love grandmother stories? But guess what? I'm standing up here so I get to tell mine. <laughs> I am so sorry about that. But as I said, I have seven wonderful grandchildren. Well, my son has five. And when they were young and we first moved to Florida, he brought them to Florida to see us. And of course, what every good grandmother does is she takes her grandchildren to Disney World, right? We're there and I've got one granddaughter who's a, a gymnast and she was real small from the time that she was really little. She never got really big. I tell her little sparks start big fires. So just love being short and being doing that. And she was so excited because we were by the roller coaster. And she came running by and she said, oh Mimi, Mimi, I'm big enough, I'm big enough. I get to go on the roller coaster. She was so excited and off they go. But standing there beside me was her younger sister, Madison, and her baby brother, David. So we're standing there and we're watching the roller coaster go round and round and round and Madison's holding my hand and all of a sudden she says, Mimi, Mimi, I've been thinking. I said, what you've been thinking, honey? She says, well, I've been thinking I can't go on the roller coaster because I'm not old enough, right? And I said, that's right, but you know, you're gonna get older and you're gonna get bigger and you're gonna get to go on the roller coaster and have lots of fun too. She seemed satisfied, but in just a few more minutes, I felt her say, Mimi, Mimi, 
And I said, what is it, honey? She said, I've been thinking. She said, if I'm too young, that means you're too old and there's no hope for you. <laughs> what she does not know is that her Mimi is a roller coaster wimp. There is absolutely no way that I want to get on that roller coaster. I was exactly where I wanted to be using her and her little brother as an excuse not to get on the roller coaster. Now, according to the dictionary.com, a wimp is a person who lacks confidence, is uncertain in their purpose, is wishy-washy about whether or not they want to do something, is a weak, ineffective person who compromises and conforms, not standing firm on who are, they are or their convictions. Now, I don't mind being called a roller coaster wimp. I can laugh at that all day long. But ladies, the one thing that I do not ever want is for me to be that word being a wimp used in my relationship with God. Wimping out on God to me is like the man who was at the shoe cell. And he was standing there and there were all these women around and they were waiting for the doors to open and he was the only man there. When the doors opened, those women started rushing and they used their elbows and they were just slinging and pushing everybody out of the way, grabbing shoes. And he just stood back and just waited for them to stop. And, and when they didn't, all of a sudden, he just did exactly the same thing they did. He started using his arms and pushing them and getting into the shoes. This woman looked up and she said, why don't you act like a gentleman? He said, I tried that. Now I thought I'd act like a lady. <laughs> and when we start whipping out on God, it's because we can get tired of trying to do it God's way, can't we? Now, why in the world am I talking about this with leaders? You're the ones that are spiritually mature, right? You're the ones that have it all together, right? Yeah, right. Well, you're right. Yeah, right. If you're like me, you still need to be poured into. You still need to have the strongest priority in your life needs to be that intimate relationship that you have with God. You know, there are those who call themselves Christians and may believe in Jesus Christ, but their lifestyle is that of being a wimp. Now, veteran pollster George Barna in a recent study says 66% of those who classify themselves as Christians are basically wimping out on God. Now, he doesn't use the word wimp. He calls them casual Christians, but he describes them as those who have a faith and Jesus Christ and that he is the Son of God. But they do not live out that faith in their everyday life. Now, if you're in women's ministry of any kind, you're ministering to a lot of women that are that way. They compromise their Christian convictions and conform to the culture, which is the norm. They revert back from being spiritual to kind of being middle of the rotors and we not only do it with ourselves, but we can end up doing it with our children, can't we? We can even be ambivalent about their faith. They look at God's word as optional. It's got some great life insights and they choose to accept some of those and they give them a community of relationships around them by being in the church. But being a Christian is not fulfilling the needs of their inner heart. But being a Christian 
is not a classification. Being a Christian is our identification. I want you to hear that loudly and clearly. Being a Christian is not a classification. Being a Christian is our identification. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed in him and received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. Now, Barner also says 16% of those who call themselves Christians, um, that they get this. And that being a Christian is their real identity. He calls them captive Christians because they have chosen to surrender their lives to God. They're defined by their faith. Their worldview is built around the core of what God's word says. They desire to live with devotion to the Lord regardless of the worldly consequences. They believe that the only way to experience real life is through Jesus Christ and living in obedience to God. Ugh. 66%, 16%. Those numbers grieve me, else. It would be so easy to say casual Christians aren't genuine Christians. But I find myself thinking that 66% just don't get it what it really means to be a Christian because they have been able to go about doing rather than being. Some may believe that accepting Jesus Christ is merely um, a passport to heaven and they're glad that they've got it. Where in reality, Jesus is what really gives meaning to our lives. Some of those 66% may be babes in Christ and it's just that they don't know because maybe we haven't done the most effective job of being able to disciple them and bring them up so that they can grow up. Some may have even tried to walk the walk and became discouraged because they think it just doesn't work for me and where is God when I need him in the midst of trials. I do believe there's more to being a Christian than most of us are experiencing. Would you agree with me on that? And when I say most of us, I'm not talking about those they that I've been saying anymore. I'm even talking about those of us that are in this room. Because when I get so busy being about the master's work, instead of just being about being in an intimate relationship with him, I can become tired. I can become worn out. And I can become drained. So instead of us writing off that 66%, for me, it makes it even more passionate that we join together those of us who see the need to do that. To show and to teach how they can experience real life in Jesus Christ. Real living in Jesus Christ is not just going to happen though, is it? It's got to be intentional. That is what I want to spend a few minutes talking about today. How can we I can. How can we intentionally live a life shaped by God's life so that we can be a witness and not a wimp? How can we consi consistently and effectively intentionally live a life shaped by God's life? so that we are not a wimp, but we are a witness 
And witness means that we are bearing evidence of Jesus Christ. Not just talking about him. Not just teaching. But bearing evidence of him in our daily lives. I'm so thankful for God's word, aren't you? I love God's word. It is so stress relieving because it is always brings me back to the reality that there is really absolutely nothing that's new under the sun. In this case, that the temptation to wimp out on God, to struggle at times with that commitment that you and I all have with Christ, is not a new dilemma that Christ followers find themselves in. God's word is full of life lessons that we can learn from. For me, I can really relate to the Apostle Peter. I feel like that he's my biblical soulmate. He wrote a lot about wimping out on God because he had a lot of practice doing that. You know, Peter would rush in where angels feared to tread. He would rush in and cut the ear off in the garden. Of course, if that had been me, I'd probably cut his whole head off, so I can't say too much about Peter with that. He, um, he was Mr. Motormouth himself. I mean, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was trying to tell Jesus what to do, and God the Father had to say, hush and listen to my son. And I know that I can be that way too. Jesus even warned Peter that he was going to be a wimp. Now I want us to stop and think about that. The man that he told, my church will be built upon this rock. He told him, you're going to wimp out on me. In Luke 22, 33 and 34, Jesus said, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. He was even told he was going to wimp. You know, it was at a time when I started calling this, I don't want to wimp out on God. It was because of that. And as I was studying and reading up with my soul mating, learning from him, I thought if Peter could wimp out on God, I should not be surprised that I even though I feel like that I am a committed and dedicated believer in Jesus Christ, that I am passionate about my relationship with him, that I can very easily in the midst of daily life and distractions get to a point that I can wane and wimp out. And it wasn't that Peter didn't listen. He made a choice to follow him, even though Jesus told him that it was not time for him to be able to do that. He positioned himself in a place of vulnerability. He caved because of where he was. He denied Christ. He conformed to the culture. Basically, he really did wimp out on God, something he said he would never do. Have any of you ever been there? I have to raise both hands, y'all, because I'm probably as passionate about it as I can be because I know how easy it is to be able to stumble. But the wonderful part about it is, is I can also stand up here today and proclaim that we can fail forward because every time that we stumble, God will give us a stepping stone to move forward in our relationship with him. Then there was the time that Peter had a verbal outburst against God's will that Jesus should not suffer and die. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Whoa. He called Peter the rock. 
he said, get behind me, Satan. He was talking to Peter, but he was also talking to Satan because it was the influence of Satan and Peter's life. And what was that influence doing? He did not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Now, can I just confess that even in ministry, there's been times that I have not had in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Really cool programs, really great things you could do. Really going to look good if we do those things. And they can sound good off of the top. But really, the purpose and the motive behind them were not always maybe the right way. <coughs> we can all do that, can't we? Or am I the only one in here? Y'all got to get into this. Am I the only one in here that ever has struggled with this? And that's the reason I am so passionate that anytime I'm asked to go and be able to share with leaders, I want us to stop time and have time to be real, to just be a Christ follower, not a leader, but one who I call it fellowship instead of leadership. We're following him. And it's so easy for us to stop following. This has been a reality check for me. Jesus pinpointed the trigger point that Peter did not have in mind the things of God. Peter defaulted to human reasoning and it is so easy for us to be able to do that too. I just turned all my pages. Shows you I'm not perfect. <laughs> but I'm going to read a scripture in a minute so i got to go back. Uh, secondly, did you notice that Peter um, seemed to have enough faith that he confessed that Jesus is the Son of God? But it seems that he did not have enough faith to live according to the mind of God. He had enough faith to say that Jesus was the Son of God, but his faith wavered enough that he did not live according to the mind of God. Peter did get it after Pentecost, though, and he was just as bold as he was before Pentecost. He still rushed in where angels feared to tread. He still would be the one who would talk the loudest and talk the most. But the difference was is that he was essentially living a life shaped by God's life as the Holy Spirit was living in him to shape him that way. And we get to start that way. We didn't have to start where Peter started. And so in 1 Peter, one of my favorite scriptures is where he says, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. He's speaking from experience, isn't he? You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, as obedient children, our identification. Let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget he's also a responsible father and will not let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. The first thing that I will wish that I had gotten sooner, ladies, is I wish that I had gotten it, that I had to be very intentional 
about living a life shaped by God's life. That God's life is the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was younger, the Holy Spirit wasn't talked about a whole lot in the church. I don't know if we were afraid of him or what it was. I don't even know that in the early years of my faith that I looked at the Holy Spirit as being a person, but he is a person. There was just so much confusion about it. But before he died on the cross, Jesus promised that after he died and was risen again and ascended into heaven, his spirit would be sent to live inside of God's people. In John 14, 16 through 17, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, one of like kind with me, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. For believers today, when we believe the gospel and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the person of the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Does everybody believe that? The person of the Holy Spirit lives within us. You know, one time I was getting ready to do a conference and I had a piece of plexiglass and I wrote the word me on it in capital letters like this. When I flipped it by mistake and laid it down on the bed, I looked at it and it looked like we. And it was like the Father said to me, do you get it, Sheila? The flip side of me is we. There's no more me in your life. It's all we. What you say is we. What we, you do is we. You are on a joint journey with me. We're doing life together. That is the most powerful truth and reality that we can live out in our own lives so that others will be able to see it. Now, as children of God, we literally possess the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I could not wrap my mind around Jesus living in me. You know, taking this picture of this little babe who ended up walking with 12 men. And I wanted my grandchildren to be able to understand that quicker than I understood it. You know, have you ever tried to explain the Holy Spirit? You know, I, they, they got the egg similarities and all this stuff that you do but I spent all this time with my grandchildren explaining to them about the Holy Spirit and that when they have Jesus in their lives that what it means to have Jesus in your heart is that the spirit of Jesus that he sent when he went back to heaven his spirit now lives in there and it is more and more consuming that Holy Spirit that we have well I talked and I talked and I talked and then my little grandson David looked at me and he said I got it Mimi and I said, what have you got, honey? And he said, I got it, who the Holy Spirit is. He said, the Holy Spirit is a person without skin on that lives in me and uses my skin. Think about that for a minute. Is there any way better to explain the Holy Spirit? That there is the person of the Holy Spirit without skin on because he's spirit and he lives in me. He uses my skin, he uses my mouth, he uses my hands, he uses my feet. He uses my eyes to be able to glorify him and to be about his work. He gives us that privilege. And even if we don't understand it, we cannot ignore it. He's real. Our whole life is wrapped up in the person of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way to get where God intends us to go 
other than by the power of the Holy Spirit. He takes us where the rituals of religion will never take us. And God wants to move our life and live our life in a way that only He can do that through the Spirit in us. This Holy Spirit has given to us so that we can know God and know how to live our lives, speaking to us in our minds and transforming our minds, leading us to making an impression to say something or to do something or think something according to his will. It's that unction that we get inside that we just know that we know what we're supposed to do. He intercedes for us and the Holy Spirit provides everything that we need for life and godliness. We must intentionally depend upon the Holy Spirit to experience real life in Jesus Christ. Why am I talking about this with leaders? You know this, don't you? But do we forget it sometimes? Do we get wrapped up in doing it ourselves and thinking ourselves? I do. You know, my granddaughter came to live with me for a while and I wasn't used to anybody being there. And one day she came out and she said, Mimi, who are you talking to? Well, I was walking through the house just talking to Jesus because that's just what I do. But that was strange to her. See, she says, you're talking to him. I said, yeah, he's right here with me. And she started learning over and over and over that she could just talk to Jesus too, that the Holy Spirit was there with her. But there's another central truth that I think sometimes that even we as leaders can look over. Remember when Peter said, be holy as I am holy? Do you feel like that you are holy? Most of the time when I hear the word holiness, I want to give a disclaimer. And I definitely do not want the women that I am sharing life with and walking with to think that I am holier than thou. Do you? I do not want that image in my life. But God always does what's right and I don't. So if he's holy, how in the world can I be holy? He never vacillates and I do. So if he can be holy, how can I be holy? His holiness is perfect. Freedom from all evil and mine is not. And his thoughts and actions are always consistent with his character and mine aren't. To me, holiness for so many years seemed like some elusive thing that I was trying to attain and could not. Do any of you ever lead and think if you only knew what I was thinking, if you only knew what I have done, you don't feel like that you're even in a position to lead because you're not holy as he was holy. But holiness for us is not an optional part of life. It is the whole purpose behind our life. It's that process. Now, holiness means to be set apart. And I want to give you a little bit of, re of a reminder about that. Now, Sheila says, have you ever played Simon Says? Can we play Sheila Says? Now, that means whatever Sheila says, you have to do, right? If I don't say Sheila Says, you don't have to do it, right? Okay. Sheila Says, stand up. Sheila says, turn to one of the ladies and say, you are precious. 
Come on. Or one of the gentlemen. I, I do not want to leave you out, <laughs> Guess what? You are precious. How do I know that? God's word says so, that we are precious in his sight. Now Sheila says, turn and tell one of the ladies, you are perfect, our gentleman, and I will not make you do this with your husband if you do not want to do this at home. You are perfect. You are perfect. Guess what? You're not. Sheila says, sit down. Did you see how you laugh at that concept of perfection? And yet we try to live it. But you know what? Our lives are not about trying to be good. They are about being God's. Our lives are not about trying to be good. Our lives are about being God's gal. God works and he is the one who is going to do the work. It's kind of like this little girl that was running around the track one day and she was saying something and when she finished running around the track and she won the race, they asked her, what were you saying? Who were you talking to? What were you saying to yourself? And she said, I wasn't. I was praying. And they said, well, what were you praying? And she said, I was praying, Lord, you pick them up and I'll put them down. You pick them up and I'll put them down. <laughs> but that reminds me of what our life of holiness looks like. This is the way we have to think when we do it. And I'm not trying to make holiness something too simplistic but it was so complicated for me that as I went through the scriptures and started looking at what does holiness really mean, it, that example was it. Because see, God is the one who does the work. It's not us. God does the work. The scriptures say that God is always working and Jesus said, I am working too. The scripture says that God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure to will it and to do it. God works keeping us through his power of faith until the last time. God works faithfully finishing what has started. So gals, we can serve with such confidence. Remember, a wimp doesn't have confidence. But we can serve with such confidence because it's not, life for us is not about trying to be good, but it is about living in our relationship with God and being God's gal. That was hard for me. I can clearly remember I lived in Alabama till I was about five and a half with my grandparents. I had a single mom, a single again mom. My parents were divorced and we had to, had to live with them until she took us to Atlanta to live with her. I'll never forget the day that we left there. I was in the back seat of the car. The trunk of the car was tied down with our few belongings that we had. My brother was sitting beside me. I was on my knees looking back at my grandmother and granddaddy standing in the yard yelling at the top of my lungs, but if you won't make me go, I'll be good. If you won't make me go, I'll be good. Because I thought if I was good enough, if I could just be good enough, I wouldn't have to experience that pain. I wouldn't have to be and go in that loneliness. But you know, I spent so much of my life trying to be good, even for God. 
and still did not understand that it was not about being good. It was about being God's. And because I was God's, God's going to work in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so this little girl running around the track saying, you pick them up and I'll put them down, started teaching me what holiness really looks like. Because see, it's a work with God. It's a joint journey with God. And God's part is to do the work. And our part is to be obedient children, as Peter said. Ours is our response ability. Write that down. Response dash ability. And God has given us the ability to respond as he works in us out of obedience. And that is where the godliness comes. We are positionally holy because of our relationship in Jesus Christ. We are holy. We have been set apart once and for all done. But there is a process of holiness that we are becoming more like Jesus Christ day by day. So how does God work? He works in tandem with the Word and the Holy Spirit and out of His sovereignty in every circumstance. And how do we respond? We respond in obedience to what God's Word says. That's why it's so important for us to be in the Word day by day as we live, lead. Because as we live, so shall we lead. If we live out of the Word of God, we will lead other women just by example to live out of the Word of God. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit works in tandem in our life. It's synchronizing God's Word. I call it that unforced rhythm of grace. That comes from Matthew 28, um, Matthew 11, 28 through 30 in the message. And it says there, the unforced rhythm of grace. And I just see that rhythm of God working and us responding. Now, let me just tell you how that works a little bit. You know, when you walk, it takes more energy to lift up your foot and to keep it up than it does to put it down. Why? That's just a natural thing. It just goes down. But it takes more muscle power. It takes more energy to pick it up. That's what that little girl was saying. Lord, you pick it up because I'm tired. I'm weak. I don't have the energy to pick it up anymore. So you pick it up. And if you pick it up, I'll put it down. So when God's word says to me to be angry and sin not, God's working to reveal to me to be angry and sin not. And when I am obedient, I am responding in obedience. I've just taken one more step towards becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. When he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and I choose to make peace before I go to bed, I have just responded in obedience. When I hear him say to me, be still and know that I am God. He is working to let me know that I need him more than I need to do what I'm doing. When I respond in obedience, I've just taken another step. 
And every time that we respond in obedience, we are walking a path of holiness and becoming more like Jesus Christ and more and more a Christ-centered life. That's what we want to pass on to the women that we work with. That's what we want to pass on to our families and to our children. And ladies, we cannot allow ourselves to become so wrapped up in ministry that the ministry comes before the master. We have got to have that intimacy. It has got to be intentional that we are realizing that God is working in our life every day so that we will respond in obedience. God works, we respond. Come on. God works, we respond. God works, we respond. God works, we respond. respond. That's a rhythm that is in our lives. And you know what? When you get out of sync, you know it. You know, when they are marching in the army, they're marching along like this, and everybody's supposed to stay in step. What do they do when they get out of step? They take a little hop and get back in step again. Same thing for us. When we're walking in sync with the master, there's going to be times we're going to get out of step with him. But God's going to work. And when we respond in obedience, we're going to take that little jog of a step and we're going to get back in step with him and we are going to know it. Isn't that exciting? That was so stress relieving for me when I had to, I realized I could stop trying to be good. I could rest in being God's. That I could trust God's faithfulness to work in me to accomplish what he wants to do in me. That gave me so much more power to be able to share and to teach his word and to be able to proclaim that God is faithful. Now, I've been married 56 years. And when we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary, we celebrated the 50th, we celebrated the faithfulness of God. Because I'll tell you what, we'd have never made it if it hadn't have been for God working and us responding in obedience. And so that's just a testimony of God's faithfulness. Stop and think about all the things in your life and all the lives of the women. If we can help them to see and to understand that it is about God working in us and us trying to take off those masks of perfection and be able to put on the holiness of God and wear it saying, I am holy, I'm set apart, and I'm going to intentionally walk that way. Now, there's one other thing that Peter says, and one other thing that I wished I'd have gotten sooner, that intentionally living a life shaped by God's life is transforming our minds to make godly choices. That's how we respond in obedience. Peter says, be sober-minded. And the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to this age directly. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And renewing means over and over and over and over and over and over again. I don't get it the first time, y'all. But it's over and over and over again. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Our part of transforming our mind is our choices. And the only way we can do that is one choice at a time. Now, I have given you a bookmark that I, through my studies, through my studying, 
through my saying, how do I do this consistently, Lord? What do I do? You know, you have to practice right living if you want to live right living. It's an intentionality. Say that word intentional. intentional. It's intentional. And this is the way that I became intentional. The first thing that I did when I looked at God's word is it says to pour your heart out. Hannah poured her heart out to God, didn't she? She told him everything that she was thinking. And I learned that I had to be really honest and transparent with the Lord about everything that I was thinking and feeling and not try to bypass it. And we can have a reality gap there. There can be something happening in our lives and we know what should be happening, but there's a gap in between. We have to experience those feelings. We have to experience those pains that may be there sometimes. We can't bypass those things, but we need to experience them in the presence of the Lord and be able to talk to Him about it. And that's how that we eventually end up bridging that gap between what is happening and what God wants to happen. And how do we do that? I want you to put your finger on the second square. It's through God's Word. God's Word is our GPS. God's Word says what we need to know to do. It is our revelation of the truth and what we are supposed to be doing. His Word works. It's our power source is the Holy Spirit. And the Word, Jesus said, I am the Word. The mind of God is what He shares with us in His Word. We can't say we don't know what God thinks. We do know if we're in the Word what God thinks. It's God's heart coming out of His Word, so we love it. And it's God's will, so we should live it. The Holy Spirit is the revelator. But years ago, I was given a book, and it was called Adjust or Self-Destruct. And at the beginning of that little book was this little poem. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is evil, the other is blessed. The one I love, the other I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Now think about that for a minute. Two natures beat within your breast and every woman that you work with. One is that we love and the other we hate. None of us like if we're If we're children of God, we don't like that side of us that comes out sometimes. The one I love, the other I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Now the world feeds that side we don't like all the time. Walk through the grocery store line. Does it feed it if you look at all those magazines? Drive down the the road. Does it feed it with all the billboards that are out there that do not need to be there? Does it feed it with television, with the advertisements that's on between the shows? And let's not even getting to talk about the shows, how it feeds that other nature and makes it seem like the cultural norm is okay for us to leave. The world feeds us. Satan, who is the ruler of this world, feeds us with the things he wants us to have all the time. So we have to intentionally feed ourselves with God's Word. The more that we feed ourselves with God's Word, the more that the Holy Spirit can bring to remembrance the things that God has told us, and we can, we can respond in obedience. When I got into Romans at one point, 
I was trying to clarify sin. You know, sometimes we start talking about sin and we start going down listing all the things that we think are sin, right? And of course, if it's somebody else doing them, we see them a, a lot easier than when we're doing them. You know, there's this list of sins up there, but these down here, like having some bitterness or resentment or some anger or some malice or not forgiving, well, those are kind of acceptable sins that everybody has. Wrong. Not acceptable sins. And as I was reading in Romans, I wrote down the word sin. I want you to write this down. Write it, S, I underneath it, and N below it. And I realized I can define sin very easily. A self-indulging nature. That's the one nature. A self-indulging nature is sin. And anything that is self-indulging about our nature is sin. But also in there, Paul very clearly says what the other nature is. Now I want you to write down over beside it. S, underneath it an O, and underneath that an N. Son, a spirit obedient nature. It's so easy to ask myself, okay, is this a self-indulging nature that I'm making this choice and decision out of? Or is it a spirit obedient nature that I'm making this decision out of? And how do we find that out? We find that out from God's word. Now, the only thing that we can control in our life is our choices. So now I want you to put your finger on that middle square. And if you notice there, it says ignore with a period, wrestle with a question mark, and I got it with an exclamation point. This is how our minds start becoming transformed. <coughs> Turn over the marker. Let's read that together. <coughs> Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what this is about. This is how we transform our mind. When we read God's word, I'd like to say, we'd say, yay, God, that's exactly what I'm going to do. But there are times that we ignore it, period. It's not even a consideration. We just ignore what it says. Why would we ignore it? Why would you ignore God's word? It doesn't line up with what you want. It doesn't line up with what you want. Easy. Hmm? Easy. It's easy to ignore God's word, isn't it? Because we read it just like we're reading it. We don't we don't read it like we're saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, so that I can respond to you in obedience. It's so easy to do that. But every thought we think, every decision that we make, every emotion we allow to shape our behavior, every response we make to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, every reaction we have towards the things that surround us, each contributes to our transformation of our mind. So ignore is our default mode. Did you know that? 
most of us, it's just easy to read it and ignore it at times. That's where conformity and compromise comes in. God's word says he does not like us to ignore his word. The next one is wrestling with a question mark. What do you think that means? When you read God's word, you ignore it, period. Or you wrestle with what it says. Do you ever wrestle with what it says? Why would you wrestle with what it says? Because you got a question there, don't you? What would make you wrestle with it? You're not understanding it, maybe? You don't understand it. And you have to wrestle with it. Wrestling is good, y'all. It means that you're not just ignoring it, but you're wrestling with whether or not you're going to do it. You want to understand it. Or there may be a question of how you're going to do it because of the obstacles, being in a relationship you shouldn't be in, and, and God's Word reveals that to you, but there's questions and you wrestle because how are you going to change that? Sometimes it can be because we're double-minded. I know the Scripture says that, but... There can always be that word. But what will it take to trust his word in every situation? What does it take to trust his word in every situation? First of all, ignoring it is disobedience. Wrestling with it and not responding according to his word is disobedience. But when we say, I've got it, and we respond in obedience, that's when we take that step that God works and we respond. That's where that unforced rhythm of grace comes in. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says that he wants to give us that rest. He wants us to rest in him so that we can live how? Lightly and freely. That's from the message. Now, it's a trust issue, too. Isn't it? Do we trust God? Huh? You know what? I trust God to do what God's going to do. But sometimes I don't trust God to do what I want him to do. And I can wrestle with that. Not a happy king. I'm afraid of what he's going to do. I'm afraid that if I do it his way of how it's going to happen. But I've lived enough years and I've walked with him along, long enough to know that I don't want it my way. I do want it his way. Because no matter how painful or hard it may seem at the time, that his way is the way. It is the, the truth and the way and the life, real life in Jesus Christ. It's a trust issue. Trusting and believing, write down this word. I'm an acrostics person, y'all. Write down R. A, underneath it R, underneath it T. When I say that I believe in God's word, I'm saying I will adhere to it. I will rely upon it. And I will trust in it. And when I get there and I read his word and I ask myself, am I adhering to what it says? Am I relying upon it? Am I trusting in it? See, that is the acrostic for art. And I call it the art of purposeful living and intentional living that I am developing being able to create that picture, that abstract, and turn it into something that I can see God's word working. Now put your, that's the transformation. Now put your finger on the next 
square. This is a process that we do over and over again to transform our mind. I got it. So what am I going to do? I'm going to participate with the Holy Spirit by being obedient. See my acrostic there? What does it say? What's my acrostic? Step. That's my step. Taking a spiritual truth and expressing it practically. Taking a spiritual truth and expressing it practically. And every time that we take a spiritual truth and we express it practically, we are moving closer and closer to our more Christ-centered life. We are walking in sync with the Lord. When I'm holding on to unforgiveness and I don't have forgiveness, and I wrestle with it and say, but it's not fair, God. What happened isn't fair. They shouldn't be able to get away with it. But he gets me down to a point of forgiveness. And I take that spiritual truth and I forgive others as Christ forgave me. I just took a spiritual truth and expressed it practically. Go back again to be still and know that I am God. I take a step when I express that practically by not rushing in where angels fear to tread are waiting on the Lord to reveal to me. When in doubt, do without. You know, just being able to respond in obedience gives us that spiritual truth that we can express practically. Does any of this make sense to you? This has been an intentional process. We have to be intentional. If we're going to serve the way that most of you serve, you're probably the hands and the feet and everything there is in church. I'm not saying you're not doing this. I'm just saying that I've walked with him long enough to know how easy it is to get into a rhythm and a rut rather than that unforced rhythm of grace. And that normally happens when my rhythm changes from having my intimacy with God and talking to him all day and listening and being able to stop and pause and to breathe and to realize that I am truly on a joint journey with Jesus, that it's him and me. It's we. It's not just me. That takes intentionality for me to think that way. I That's against everything this world would say, isn't it? Kind of sounds radical, doesn't it? Who in here thinks I'm radical? I am. Because he says we're to be. He says we're to be holy. That we are to be set apart from the way that the world thinks. And that's a radical thought now. We don't have to be odd people. There is a difference, but we can live it in such a way that we are a glow that draws people to Jesus Christ. We don't have to be a glare that makes them run the other way. And when we're living this out, when we are practicing that unforced rhythm of grace, people will see a difference and they will know what God is doing in our lives. And with the last square. Let me um, tell you a little story first. God, a long time ago, when he was really working on me and trying to transform my mind, one day at work, <coughs> my staff had done something they should never have done. And it cost the company a lot of money. It was in the beginning days of the business, and every little penny counted, if you know what I mean. It could be very desperate. I went out and told my staff about it on no uncertain terms. Do you know what I mean? Didn't handle it real well. Walked back in my door, slammed it with an exclamation point. Do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? 
So I'm sitting there and the Lord is, he doesn't talk to me out loud, y'all, but he really talks to me and I know when it's him. I know when that thoughts that are in my mind are him speaking to me. I said, God, you're not going to make me go out there and apologize, are you? <laughs> well, needless to say, I got up and went back out and asked my staff if they would forgive me for the way that I had handled it, that I had not handled it right. That what they had done had not been the right thing to do, but I had only compounded it by the way that I had responded. Now let's all pull together and see what we can do to get this thing worked out. Turned around, walked back in, and sat down at my desk. And in just a few minutes, this gal came into my office and she'd worked with me for a long time. She was my warehouse manager. And she looked at me and she said, Sheila, you didn't have to do that. You're the boss. You can do anything that you want. And I said, oh no, I got a boss. <laughs> he was not a happy camper. <laughs> now I had been sharing Christ with her in conversations for several years when she was in crisis and she would come talk to me. I'd tell her that the only way I knew to get out of it and I would tell her what that was. But she had never come to really see or to believe. We turned to, we talked for a few more minutes and she turned and started to walk out the door and just before she walked out the door she turned around, stuck her head in and she said, I guess being a Christian really is real was not anything I said was not my perfection it was that I failed but I failed forward and turned that stumbling stone into a stepping stone that pointed back to Jesus she could see that God could get my attention and you know what that's the world what the world wants to see they don't want to see our perfection they just want to know that God is involved in our everyday life and that he can communicate with us um, I don't know about you the one thing that I told the Lord one day about Peter was that it wasn't quite fair because when the cock crowed that was his cock-a-doodle-doo and it reminded him of what Jesus said right and I said I need cock-a-doodle-doos too because I get busy during the day and I forget so I'm very intentional about cock-a-doodle-doos had a little box beside my phone at work and it has little prayer thoughts in it but every time I picked up that phone it reminded me that when I picked up that phone it was me and Jesus on the other end of that phone because people knew that I was a believer. I had a fish in my office that nobody else thought anything about but when the salesman were in there trying to twist my arm up one side and down the other it reminded me of how I was supposed to respond to what was happening. So I believe in taking little things that we have and making them our cock a doodle doos and being intentional about that. I carry a cross that's in, in my pocket. This is even a cock a doodle doo for me because it stays in my Bible and when I'm reading it, I remember I'm not just reading the Bible, I'm transforming my mind and I need to look at the process of how I am reading my Bible and taking those cock a doodle doos. Now I have shared this all over the country and Several years ago, I was at the forum in Nashville and I shared it. The next year, um, I was at a conference and I was talking about cock-a-doodle-doos and this girl came, stood up and she said, I was in your conference at the forum and I heard about cock-a-doodle-doos. Can I tell my story? And I said, oh, I would love you to. And she says, well, I'm the woman at the well. I've had five husbands. 
She said, but I heard about that, and I knew that Jesus had saved me and that I was covered by the blood. She said, see my thumbnail? It's painted red, and the rest of them aren't. She said, every time I look at my red thumb, I realize that my life is covered by the blood, that I'm no longer that woman in the well that has to be there, but I was Jesus in the well. And she said, and guess what else happens? She says, when people see it, they ask me why I just have my thumb painted red. And she said, I get to give them my story about how Jesus' blood has covered all my sins. And now I don't have that anymore. And she said, and I have the others done in the French where it has the white, and I talk about where he washed me white as snow. You know, it's just a reminder, anything that we can do. It just keeps in mind the things of God. Now, this bottom part, What's the acrostic there? Hey, y'all got ahead of me. I am so proud of you. And what does it stand for? Living in fellowship every day. Living in real life. The only way you can define real life in Jesus Christ is living in fellowship every day with the masters. That is the only way we can do it. And I'll tell you what. There is nothing absolutely nothing in your life there is nothing absolutely nothing in your ministry as important as you living in fellowship every day with the master that's when we experience real life that's when as we live we lead other people to experience real life in Jesus Christ that's how we start synchronizing our life with God's life and walk with him fellowship is different than friendship fellowship means that we have a common interest that we have like passions and that we have the same nature we've all got people that we're close to but there's something there and we don't understand what that is that is there but it's something that's just not the same and we may know them really well but we can be around someone that we don't know quite as well, but there's still a fellowship. And that's because of that nature and having the same interest and having the same character. Now, this isn't easy to do. It takes time. It takes intentionality. But I do this at conferences because I... I care whether or not people are experiencing real life in Jesus Christ. Because there was a number of years there I did not. I was the good church lady. I did everything. But I did not have that fellowship. And once I discovered how being intentional had me walking with him in that unforced rhythm of grace every day. Now I blow it. I just said every day. I want to rephrase that because there's days he has to smack me upside the head and say, girl, can I be as important to you as that phone call was? I mean, I still know that. But it comes quicker now than it used to. And I want to close by telling you a story about the night that I realized really that the Lord never wanted me to forget that. My son had come. We lived in Michigan at the... Louder. 
My son had come from Chicago. We lived in Michigan at the time. I was working, so I came home from work, and I did what every good grandmother does. You clean your house so your five grandchildren can come, right? I was tired, so I sat down in my chair, and before I realized it, I'd fallen asleep. They didn't get in until nearly midnight. All of a sudden, I was woken up by the sound of the screen door. It was summertime, and I heard it just bang closed, and I heard the pitter-patter of little feet running through the living room into the family room, and I heard this little voice saying, Mimi, 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 it's me, it's me, it's Sarah, it's Sarah, I'm here, I'm here. And before I realized what had happened, she had jumped up in my lap, and she said, oh, Mimi, I am so glad to be here. It has been such a long journey. And then all of a sudden, she's my little otter, and she just talks a mile a minute. They had to play the quiet game because she had to get her 2,000 words in, you know what I mean? And she's looking at me, and she said, oh, Mimi, it was a good trip. She said, John John got hurt, but that was okay. We prayed over it, and it was fine, and Mom put a Band-Aid on it. And, and Brittany and I got into a little squabble, but then we asked each other to forgive us, and Dad said that was okay. And Mom and Dad, oops, I'm not supposed to tell you that. And you're right, Mimi, it is the same moon in Chicago as it is in Michigan because I watched it all the way. She's just chattering, just a mile a minute. And then all of a sudden she stopped and she put her little hands up on my face and she said, Oh, Mimi, I love you so much. And then she did something I had never seen her do. She put her head down on my shoulder and she got very quiet and very still. And then she popped up after a few minutes and she looked at me and she said, Oh, Mimi, I can hear your heartbeat. She was satisfied. She jumped down. She hadn't cared her siblings had wanted in my lap. She went off and she played and I talked to the others for a few minutes and then I did what every good grandmother does at midnight. I fixed them a snack. And my son said, now, Mom, we've got to get these children to bed. So they asked me if I would say their prayers with them. And we sat, I sat down on the bed, and they all cuddled up around me. And Sarah got over next to me again, and she put her head up on my shoulder as we prayed. And when we finished praying, she looked up at me with the most precious smile I have ever seen. And she said, oh, Mimi, your heartbeat is the same as mine. She had been still long enough that she had heard the rhythm of our heartbeat beating in sync with one another. Well, needless to say, this Mimi's heart was just full as I walked out that door. I ran smack dab into my son. And I said, son, thank you to you and Pam for having these children. If it wasn't for you, I would not have all this joy. And I started walking down the stairs and before I went back into the great room, it was like the Lord called me aside for a moment. And I went in there just being still. And it was like he said to me as clearly as day, Sheila, this is what I want. I want you after your long journey every day, I want you to come running into me. I want you to jump up in my lap. And I want you to tell me everything that has happened, even though I already know it. And after you get through talking to me and pouring your heart out at me, I want you to stay there long enough to look into my face and tell me you love me. And Sheila, if you'll just stay there long enough, 
and put your head upon my shoulder and stay there long enough till your heartbeat is in rhythm with my heart. You'll experience such peace and power and joy, even in the midst of a challenging journey that you might have. And you know, at that moment, I believe that I could hear my Heavenly Father say to His Son on the other side of Heaven's door, Thank you, Son, for this daughter. If it wasn't for you, I would not have it. That's living in fellowship every day with the Master. That's a picture of how we intentionally move in a more Christ-centered life. And as you go through this weekend here and you go into all these conferences and we're looking at how we can more effectively minister, remember we can never, ever, ever get the ministry before the master. The most important thing, absolutely most important thing we can do is to live in fellowship every day with the master. And I hope that that little bookmark, if you put it in your Bible, will help you to practice the process as you read God's Word, where He will speak to you more and more clearly. Now, does anybody have a question? Talk to Myla and Evelyn. I want to just thank you and tell you that, you know, I know that God has something really good for you. Yes, ma'am. Can we use some of what you said you can, to you, other people? You can use anything that I've said because that's what I feel like he has said to me. It's not my words. I never want to speak with enticing words of a woman, but I want to speak with the reality of the Holy Spirit, so you feel free to use it. Where can we get those bookmarks to share with others? About how many you want. <laughs> There's no place to get them but from me, but I'll be glad to give you some. It works. I mean, I've been sharing this for several, for a lot of years now, and I get letters all the time about the difference that it makes because they are intentionally practicing living a life shaped by God. This, this has been so um, reassuring to me because I have had, I mean, I have done things yes, where I have intentionally tried to live for God. And then I would feel guilty because I'm here. It's like the devil saying, well, you shouldn't be having, you shouldn't be having to think to intentionally live for God. And you should feel, you know what I'm saying? But the way you've explained it, it what I've been doing is good. I mean, I mean, I've been intentionally trying to live for God, but then I feel like, why should I be having to continue to remember, work this is a progressive journey. It's a progressive journey. And the intentionality is, is that you realize what it is, you know. And that's where I was when God took me through the scriptures and showed me that it was an intentional process that I had to get. In the beginning, you think about it. I tell you what, after a while, you don't even think about it anymore. I say, okay, am I ignoring you, Lord, or am I wrestling with you today? <laughs> I mean, it's just as natural as breathing after you practice. It's like anything else. Anybody else? Okay, um, do you have anything you want to say? Well, I just want to remind you to leave your white cards with me as you leave. Um, Sheila will be back to lead um, our next breakout session after supper tonight. 
and then again in the morning and then tomorrow afternoon we'll do a women's ministry idea exchange kind of like i was describing those connect events we'll do kind of a mini version of that tomorrow afternoon so i'd love for you to come back for those so that's all right Okay, let's just ask the Lord to just bless this time. Father God, we just praise your holy name for who you are. We just thank you. Father God, just thank you for the privilege of being able to be called your gal and that you continually work in us and keep just reaching out to us and your unfailing love is always there calling us. Father, take away the guilt from every woman that is in this room. Help her to erase it off of her forehead and off of her heart and realize that life is not about being good but about being your gal and to live in the reality of that and to live in fellowship every day with you, Father God. Some days will look different for me than it will look for someone else, but Father God, just I pray, I pray, Father God, for a longing in the heart to live in fellowship every day with the Master. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.